0: This is the American Digital Banking Podcast. We're joined by Max Turner, Digital Practice Lead at Blue Pelican. Blue Pelican are a recruitment agency who hire extensively across legal marketing, financial markets and tech. Max is personally responsible for managing over 50 senior vacancies at any one time and is joining us to share his view on attracting and retaining talent in the financial markets during the war for talent. Hi Max, thanks for joining us. Hello. For the audience, could you give us a quick rundown of who you are and how Blue Pelican help financial markets businesses?
1: Yeah, so I am digital practice lead at Blue Pelican, part of the wider marketing practice that covers marketing, digital and analytics. I cover all things digital from anything from a sort of a digital exec to an SEO exec, right up to CDO. Um, The majority of my time right now, is focused on retained pieces as well as client education and some market mapping and market education pieces as well. Um, I support a team that basically covers everything digital across the UK, Europe, couple of roles require relocation out towards Asia and the occasional role in the in New York, Boston and other sort of marketing centres as it were.
0: Brilliant. How have you found the war for talent has affected your clients?
1: So that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, I would also say that the war on talent as a phrase is kind of misleading because that implies a winner, and there isn't really one. So so you sort of I, I know know what you mean, but I was like, well, no one's really winning, and no one is really. Standing out of the crowd at the moment. I I will be honest with you, there is a real gulf at the moment between people actively seeking work and clients hiring. Um, there is a lot of what I would say is people that will move for the right reasons, but it's much, much lower. We're we're probably saying about 50% less job seekers and I would say that because there are less people looking the people that are looking are very much over canvassed and that's having the opposite effect that employers want that people are actually going deeper into their work rather than exploring opportunities outside of that um I'd also say that there has been a real shift around in costs and things like that for instance a lot of businesses pre-pandemic were very very pro their own ta teams and whatnot um as is as is life they were the first things to go in during the pandemic so that most most big businesses jettisoned quite large amounts of their tas so now recruitment agencies and recruitment practices that offer a good consultancy services like myself we have very much become a luxury and we are now seeing clients very much um willing to either pay for our time up front which is why we've seen a big increase in retained work or clients going well look we want to secure your time and we want to secure your knowledge and expertise we'll pay you a deposit so there isn't anyone out there that's doing amazingly well but there are a lot of businesses that are quicker on the curve than you would expect for instance we've had roughly 18 to 24 months worth of wage growth so people are people are more expensive um so and there are some clients that are sticking to their old salary brackets and they're like oh we won't pay more than 55000 for a um for a marketing manager but those are the clients that are missing out they're the ones who are going oh well what is the market right now and and weirdly we've been talking to clients about this and a lot of them are just they're all saying similar things where like some can't pay more money if that makes sense, because obviously they generate the ROI. Others are like, we'll pay it because we, we know we're in a, you know, a tough situation, whereas others are putting their heads in the sand. So it's a mixed bag. It really is.
0: Do you think that's going to, those kind of higher pay brackets are going to stick or do you think it's going to fizzle out?
1: I, I think like stocks and shares, they, they only go up. <laughs> i think where where the market is setting its yardsticks out at that is where it's going to remain i mean I, if you were say if it, like for instance we've got some clients at the moment who we're talking to about e-commerce for instance and they're like we think 5 years of e-commerce experience is worth between 45 and 55000 and we're we're kind of rebuttaling and going no it's worth 60 65 now and they're like wow okay And that's a bit of a shock to them, but that's what the expectations of the market are. And that's all we can really relay. I would say, though, that what a lot of businesses are doing, though, is counter offering. And there's about 45 to 50 percent increase in counter offers. So I think a lot of businesses are wise to the wage growth in the market, whether they want to pay it or not is a different matter. But obviously, if they lose their e-commerce manager and they find out that they've been offered, you know, if they're on 50 and they've been offered 55, it's much easier for them to go, well, we'll just offer 60. Um, in terms of the wider market trend, I think we're looking at this problem probably until 2024, 2025. I think while COVID is on the on the verge of being declared endemic, I think there's a the COVID has really unearthed a lot of problems with work-life balance with working culture and also just how people feel rewarded and remunerated um, you know you would you could argue that cash is king but I think the COVID, uh, Covid has really put in perspective that cash actually isn't king and no one really cares about you having a pool table in the office anymore.
0: It's true. It's really interesting the uh, the counter offers because I was sort of brought up professionally when I was younger to think that a counter offer is kind of how you get like a job offer is how you get a counter offer and that oh. counter offers are a good thing, and now I keep seeing you know. Um, People on LinkedIn, people posting about how counter offers are actually a bad thing and you shouldn't take a counter offer. And what's your kind of perspective?
1: <laughs> counter offers are always the worst decision you can make. And I'm saying this from 11 years in recruitment experience. But I would also say that counter offers are actually a selfish move by your employer because what they're actually doing is buying your time so they can replace you. And, and, and literally in the 11 years that I've done this and I've got it. I, so over Christmas, I placed an e-commerce manager and he got a 15,000 pound counteroffer to stay where he is. I literally said to him on the phone, they're buying time while you get the new website out and they replace you. And, and literally, because he was launching a new website and he was integral to that project, Of course, they threw 15,000 pounds at him because they've got no intention of paying him. They'll probably pay him seven of that. And then the moment that website is nearing completion, they will go out to the market and they will try and replace him. Because A, the trust has gone because you've gone, you've left the business, you've left the mob (laughs) and you've gone elsewhere. They obviously know that you've checked out mentally, so they're never going to be getting 100 percent from you again because you've left to go to somewhere else. Um, That candidate's motivations for leaving, by the way, were were due to flexible working because they were quite murky on their work from home policy. So that it was kind of one of those things where they, they said one thing, but they meant another. And we're getting this a lot in other businesses where realistically they want people in the office five days a week, but they know it's very unfashionable to say that. So they, they sort of say, oh, well, we'd like you in around three days. but well, actually, when you talk to line managers, you realise it's five. But HR, et cetera, they know from a PR perspective that you can't sell that. So that's what they do. And, but that will be – but they obviously then magically gave him the homeworking. So you realise that this candidate who's now taken a counter offer A, is now £15,000 more expensive. He is a liability because he's checked out of his current projects. and He's going against the grain of what the business wants. That doesn't sound like an opinion, uh, an employee that's going to be there in the long term.
0: It's a very interesting perspective. You know, I sound
1: damning, but in 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 pretty much all instances of counteroffers, it's a selfish move by your employer to either buy time to get a project delivered, or to find a replacement for you. And you find that people who accept counteroffers realistically they only last about three or six more months in that business before a the head gets turned again and they go and find another opportunity which is quite common or they're then managed out the business and you'll start seeing those cracks appear and it will be thing, little things like oh your manager keeps cancelling your one-to-ones for instance or they're becoming very um very sort of quiet about promotions, performance reviews, all of those kind of things. Because if you're getting rid of an employee, you're not gonna to talk to them about promotion and you're not gonna to talk to them about development opportunities, are you? So there's, it will start subtly, but that's normally what happens when they get managed out of the business.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a big shift um, and change because I think I saw a statistic the other day, I'm gonna say 90%, but it's not 90%. I don't know what the statistic was, but it was some huge percentage of people who accepted counter offers their like average term was six months so I'm sure there are some occasions where maybe you know an employer kind of got distracted from someone's development and then you know the attention got put back and you know that there are some rare chances but statistically apparently
1: yeah it's it's incredibly high and I think realistically if you accept a counteroffer and you want to stay with a business long term it's all about winning back the trust of your manager because that will be the thing that will tip that balance. Because if you win your manager's trust back and, you, and he believes that you're there and you're, you, you basically, it was your head got turned, et cetera, et cetera, then you'll stay. But if that trust is broken, it, it's, it's, on, it's not going to go well.
0: So how have you and your clients responded to the changes in work environments? And how are you enabling your team to deliver to the best of their ability?
1: It's a real difficult situation at the moment if that makes sense um with with working from home and whatnot a lot of businesses have embraced very much working remotely and interviewing remotely which has made the process a lot more efficient and it means that you aren't forever juggling diaries and whatnot from a candidate perspective it's a very very different ball game Um, Candidates are very much switched on to the, um, they're very much switched on to that they're over canvassed. So they're demanding more. I would also say that you have to do a much more in-depth interviews with them because, (laughs) how do I put this nicely? Um, Some candidates are moving for legitimate reasons other candidates are moving because it's a warm market. So for instance, one of my key indicators that a market's going to overheat is when someone says to me, look, I know the market's good. Realistically, I want want five grand to do the same job down the road, for instance. And that for me is a big red flag in this market because what then happens is that the, the ROI on experience, because it gets called into question and if a line manager is sitting there with five cvs all of which those candidates are all wanting you know five to 15 grand pay rises and they're all got the same level of experience but they haven't really got anything to show that they're worth that extra money the mark the line managers switch off line managers switch off and then you end up with this kind of weird stalemate of candidates looking purely for money not for um, aspirations, challenges, or you know, homework, life balance, flexibility, etc., which are all the classics, and they haven't changed. By the way, people aren't people are still moving for challenge in this market. That's not changed. But now you're starting to see this people move for greed, and I will, can be honest with you and say that people don't move for money. That's never never a primary motivator for moving. People move for more challenges, and obviously, more challenges generally increases um money um same with um you know relocation you know i'm moving x distance away from the office you know i'm enjoying work-life balance but i need x more money because the house is more expensive um so you find that those are the people that are going to start changing the market with regards to the team i'll be honest with you it's very it's very much the carrot not the stick at the moment you know it it's a tough market and a lot of it's down to talking to your team and going right. What's your challenges at the moment? What's your blocker? Why are people engaging with you or not engaging with you? I'll be honest with you. Half the battle right now is engaging candidates through the recruitment process uh, because they're well they're over canvassed. You know, in our experience, it's being very open and honest and having your heart on your sleeve right on the introduction. So being right. This is the job. This is the location. This is what it's paying this is why it's exciting, can we have a chat? You know, it's very, it's very much that elevator pitch style of communicating, but if you've got 30 messages from recruiters and, and direct talent acquisition teams, it's a way of filtering out that noise. I would also say there's a lot more effort going into talking to candidates throughout the process, because if a, if a candidate is not 100% excited about your opportunity, they're going to drop it like a hot rock, and it's understandable. If you've got six or seven first round interviews, and some of those names include Google, Deliveroo, Just Eat, Microsoft, etc., your tech startup that works with robots might be amazing and a really cool opportunity. But if they have not leave that meeting going, oh my god, this is the best job, it's going to fall by the wayside to the bigger brands. I'm not sure if I answered Definitely. your question. <laughs>
0: What, uh, in your opinion, are the three best things leaders can do to retain talent in today's economy?
1: To retain talent. Now, that's a, a a bigger issue right now. I think first thing first is that your management needs to be more hands off. I think micromanagement and very KPI driven businesses are struggling because people are at home and they don't want that stress and there are so many other businesses that are being a lot more flexible in embracing of this new style of working i think realistically you need to give them enough exposure and control to excite them and engage them but let them run with it be like this is what we need you to achieve i'm here if you need me but get it get it done i mean that And I would be also quite conscious of proximity bias, which is kind of a new thing that seems to have sprung up on LinkedIn, but it is very much becoming true. And it's at at lower levels. Um, I kind of of make the joke that the people always pushing for um, work from home have always got quite nice houses. (laughs) Um, And what we're seeing at lower level, sort of graduate up to about five years experience, Because their management and their leadership are working heavily from home, they're often getting not demoted, but they're often they're often given four walls of tasks and operations. And they're not really seeing outside of that. In a traditional office environment. They could have those sort of what I would call like water cooler chats where it's like, oh, hi, Dave, what are you up to today? Oh, I've just done this project. I'm really excited about it's doing X, Y and Z. And, and your, your leadership team, they might not think anything of it at that time because they've been like, oh, that's really great. That sounds really cool, brilliant. And then, but they'll, they'll be in a meeting two weeks later talking about a very similar project. Now, if that water cooler conversation hadn't happened, Dave won't be on that project. And that's what we're seeing a lot is that the junior level guys, they're not getting that exposure and challenge because they're very much being devo- demoted to drones. Um, a lot of businesses are trying to combat that by one-on-ones, catch-ups, um, very much talking aspirational uh, to their teams to find out what's going to really engage them. Um, but it's still it's still going to be a problem. I think especially as long-term uh, work from home is probably going to become more of a long-term piece. Um, it's probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, I would also say to you that reward as well, needs to come up. Now, I'm not saying it's cash. In fact, I'm probably saying it's the opposite of cash. Obviously, you need people to pay the gas bill. You know, at the end of the day, you don't want people coming into work, kicking rocks and wondering whether they can afford heating or lighting. But that has really evolved. Um, and reward now doesn't, now doesn't just look like money, it's benefits, it's, um, it's things that show that you care. I think the COVID has really shown that a lot of businesses didn't really care about their employees. And now to, to compensate that, a lot of businesses that, that understand are like, well, yeah, they want childcare. No, they want healthcare. I know, I know these are big cost things, but then it's also little things like sending someone a bottle of prosecco or non-alcoholic wine or whatever on their birthday, for instance. Or a little, a little note from your CEO saying, "Oh, you're doing a great job." I understand it's your your kid's sports day today. I've I've given you the day off. You know, little things like that where it shows the business is connected to you as a person. I mean, we're all going to sit here and say we'd love a, a Harrods or a, um, I'm trying to think of a US equivalent, uh, <laughs> but you know, a hamper every Christmas to say, "Well done, you've done a great job," and some businesses will do that, but others won't. So it's figuring out what's going to reward your employees outside of the paycheck. Um, because I'll be honest with you, if they're thinking about leaving the paycheck is the first thing they're going to look at and go, is this job worth it for that money? Um, and then outside of that, and this is, this is a little bit more salesy, but it's very, very true. Um, I'm a big believer of the sales kickoff, you know, in January, get all of your sales guys in a room and be like, right, this is what we want to achieve for the year. This is our goal for Q1. This is a goal for Q2. And you basically spell out the year for them about this is what we want to achieve. This is what I want to do, but this is what the part that you play in it. This is how you are going to be part of this company. I think a lot of, uh, and this is, this I think this comes from a lot of American culture where employees are very much numbers uh. No, it's, that's not going to work anymore. I, I mean, there'll be a lot of businesses that will be like, oh, well, you know, employees 76 is brilliant. They do exactly what we need them to do in accounting. Yeah, but they don't want to be known as that. They want to be known as as Jeff from accounts who does a really good job because he's an Excel wizard, you know. So it's basically setting out that agenda and that um, mission statement and basically getting people excited about achieving something because, again this is something out that came out of covid There became this very much sort of uh boss leader sentiment kind of thing where a lot of people realized that they were they were only really working for a boss that was going to buy another maserati they weren't really going to change the world and a lot of people have switched off that you know and it's very true you know i've been in management conversations very recently where it's like well why? Why should I care? All this is going to do is increase profits and get the leadership chain Range Rovers. Like you know what I mean. Uh, but the thing is, and that's what I explained to the client, that they need to not think that way. Yes, it's going to buy them a Range Rover, and obviously they'll get their bonuses and whatnot. But you need people to be part of that mission and part of that journey. I mean, it's a big thing, and it's a big dichotomy. Not dichotomy. It's, one word. Um, it's a big change away from the old mentality where you work for a company, you earned your paycheck, you left. People don't want that anymore. People want to be part of a journey. They want to be part of a something that changes the world. You know, for instance, one of our newest clients that we've done quite a bit of work with recently. They're a robotics manufacturer, okay. And their second interview is two and a half hours long, but at t- uh, but an hour and a half of that is them showing them the robots and their applications and what they do and why they do what they do the thing is what what they do is actually fa- well fairly mundane what they do is they remove human error from laboratory lab- laboratory testing i mean if you've got to do a thousand diabetes tests by hand i can imagine there's quite a bit of human error in that but they show the robots off and every candidate that's ever come out of that interview has gone oh my god this is so cool like i spent just 20 minutes just playing with this robot This, like, mechanical arm, and like I was playing chess against it and stuff like that. Those are the things that people really engage with, that they're realizing that they're part of a journey, they're part of a, to put it in, you know, a quest effectively. And that's what excites people at the moment.
0: Sure, my neck's getting a whiplash from nodding so much. (laughs) Definitely, you know, to the first point, I think as well, with kind of homeworking it can be great for introverts because you know that's kind of like your natural state is to is to I guess want a bit more alone time but then at the same time there's like that difficulty about making sure that more junior people are getting the visibility on their projects because you know it's not just their manager or their line manager that needs to know what they're kind of up to it's also you know all the way up to the top because you don't want anyone being like what's you know, this person doing, or what's this person doing, and I have noticed that's one thing that is, and I've noticed that, for me, some of the people, the best people who I've worked with, they're actually also quite shy, and quite, you know, quiet, and they just sort of get on with their work, but they don't really, they don't shout about it, but at the same time, you kind of need to shout about it, whereas before, you could just have that, because it would be in the office, and everyone would see all the great work they're doing, now it's kind of like, okay, you know, we've got this Got, we've got the benefits of you don't have to, you, you're not like in a public environment, but also you do kind of have to push yourself out there a little bit if you're a- I,
1: I, I would admit, you think, thinking back on it now, post COVID world, the office was is quite an intimidating environment. Like if you're in a, a, a room of 120 people and it's all loud and shouty, etc etc and you're in something like, you know, design or copywriting or something, which requires a little bit of quiet time and a little bit of focus. I can imagine it's the worst thing in the world i mean i will be honest it's a really weird um situation i say that a lot of men um but like for instance all the creative marketers that i speak to they want to spend as much time as a uh, uh, work at home as possible because they want the peace and quiet but then when you talk to their leadership team they're like yeah the work gets delivered quicker but all of that ideation and all of those like conversations take twice as long so it's this re- you've got to really balance it up between you know, talking to these creatives and getting a good idea, but also um, getting the work done. Um, I would say though, I think we're gonna see a bit more of a trend in terms of long-term work, homeworking, that you'll start seeing people become very much um, shameless self promoters because that's what you're gonna to have to do. If you're not there, you've got to be present in other areas you know on the zoom calls on the on the email chains you've got to be there putting your input stamping not your your authority but but adding your knowledge and the the fine line will come whether it's warranted or whether it's just shameless self promotion um it's going to be a fine line i think a lot of middle managers will become very um very much victims of that where it's like oh yeah the team did this and they'll very much sort of push their team under a bushel so they can take the the, the, um, limelight but we yeah we'll see unfortunately this is still a very emerging market and yeah it's going to be difficult to figure out what the working world looks like with with this as home and whether we default back and I'm going to be honest with you I'm, I'm starting to think that we won't default back to the offices in a large scale. I think it's gonna be more, we'll get to this sort of Nirvana around sort of three or four days in the office, the rest from home. And there'll be some businesses that offer more, some that offer less, and it will become this sort of an environment which becomes a little bit more static.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of easy to, you know, point the finger at senior management and be like, well, they should know what so-and-so is doing. But really, A, as a kind of employee, it's a new skill that it seems like maybe, you know, people will have to learn how to do, how to show that they're doing what, you know, how to show that they're doing great stuff. And it's also a skill that middle management are going to have to learn to, you know, show what their team are doing and, and boost up their team and not take the credit for themselves um where do you think the war for talent is heading in the next year do you feel it will worsen
1: so i think i think we're going to have several splash points through the year i mean if if covid carried on the way it is right now i think the 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 sort of the talent acquisition struggle is going to continue i don't think it will get worse in a market like for statistically I would say we'd probably lose another five to 10%. So candidates will become even rarer. I think from a day-to-day working perspective, I think there'll be a, a gulf between the two. So there'll be the people who really want to move and they mo- motivated and to look for a job in the right space, but I think they will be the minority. And then I think there'll be a sort of a column B who are open to move, but they're going to need to be tempted and they're going to need to be wooed. And it's going to be a very much a softly, softly, um, sort of a softly, softly approach. And then column C, I think they will be, they would have been open to moving, but they've become so over canvassed because they put the right things out there that, that actually drills them back into their company more. And when I say that, I mean, things like, you know, um, having a good linkedin profile putting your achievements on there putting projects like showing that you are good at what you've done and you've engaged with linkedin great if you're looking for a job but obviously if you're not looking for a job and you do that what will tend to happen is you'll just get turned off to the market completely and you'll probably just stop looking at your messages because you're like well i get hundreds of these a day they can't all be looking for me I'm just going to work for my current company. And then what they column C people, they will start looking in earnest if something happens in their current role to annoy them.
0: What role does employer branding play in attracting talent? And how can marketing and HR teams help foster a strong employer brand and kind of work oh, together?
1: It, see, this, this is the question I was dreading. It was because it's basically, it's really, really easy to get it wrong and very, very difficult to get it right. And there's, there's two strategies that you can employ. Now, the first strategy, which I would say is a better way of doing things is, is ground game, basically. So um, great example. So say your company, you're a big oil company, for instance, but you have an award-winning analytics team, right? From a general perspective, analytics people are not going to want to come and join your big oil company right so what you have to do is you have to be a shameless self-promoter of the analytics department so your head of needs to be out there publishing articles putting themselves up for awards getting out on the speaker circuit all of those places that if you're an ambitious analyst you're going to look to you know there's a there's a thing called the top 100 in data if you want to be seen as a, a leader and a visionary in data you need to be on that list and that's going to solve your problem working at the company you do because if you're not working at a very sexy company and i use the word sexy very loosely people aren't going to want to join you just off the face of it but like, oh coca cola are oh, not really innovative they're just they're just a massive big company but if coca cola's analytics are, Kind of division if their, their their leader of analytics is constantly speaking or is constantly being held up as this great visionary or this leader they're going to start getting those people come to them which is the easiest strategy for a lot of businesses it's if you're good at what you do you need to shout about it you need to get those awards and whatnot and i think you've got to really figure out and i use the, the the kind of phrase know your enemy for instance so if you are a traditional fs business for instance and you are launching a disruptive um like a challenger dot-com bank for instance if you go out there with your tradition let's use goldman sachs for example because they're a nice big brand that everybody knows if you're goldman sachs and you've put all of your branding over the top of this dot-com challenger bank everyone's going to look at you and go oh you're Goldman Sachs, you don't, you're not young and innovative, you're not disruptive to the market, you, you're you just, you know, you're just this big, scary, monolithic bank that's got, a, that's got a reputation in the market, good or bad. But if you market yourself on the challenger bank, and be like, right, we're really disruptive, we're going out there doing this, this and this, this is how we're gonna change the world, it's a completely different inflection. Yes, you've got a smaller entity that's not really very well known, but you've got a mission and you've got a vision and you've got something that people can grab hold of. Um, and that's kind of where you've got to, you've kind of got to look at it and go, well, who do we want to attract? You know, if we're wanting to attract these like really, you know, disruptive, you know, a la punk style marketers. We can't go out there with a big fuddy duddy corporation that's going to move glacially and slowly. We need to think, right, how, how are we their people? How are we going to be, that disruptive you know difficult business that's going to go out there and rip up the banking system so it's trying to figure that out um but yeah so and then but with the brand side of things like for instance one of the biggest things we we come up against for instance is that people very much are they're blindly brought into the brand for instance a la google everyone wants to work at google they think it's an amazing place to work and it's going to do everything but Actually, when you think about it, Google probably doesn't have that many jobs that will fit everyday people. I mean, Google doesn't really have a marketing function that works in the same way. I mean, it's the same with working for like Deliveroo, Just Eat, Revolut, all of these kind of big, you know, big challenging startup brands. People have bought into the brand, but no, and so they'll apply to the brand, but they won't really figure out whether there's, there's a place for them there. So it's figuring out who you want to attract, why you want to attract them and then getting them get getting column inches effectively with those people and getting in their getting in their faces the wrong phrase but if you're an ambitious marketer and you're looking out there and you're reading the marketing bump and whatnot you're going to go out there and see ah simon from such and such he's just won an award for his work in ai automation and chat work oh that's something i really want to get into i'll I'll put my CV into his company. Maybe I'll drop him a message on LinkedIn. Like, look, this is my set. Have you got any open positions for me? Um, yeah, and that's probably the easiest way of doing it.
0: Great. Do you have any advice for anyone who would like to start building a career in digital banking or financial services or the financial
1: markets? So if I was talking to a straight grad, I would figure out, well supposed I, I could figure out anything. I could just give them advice and point them in the direction. I think in realistic terms, there is still an argument to to pound the pavement, whether that be digitally or physically. Um, but you've got to have a bit of a direction. And I think with digital, for instance, there are so many areas of digital, that you could go into so for instance if he was uh, he or she was um or they um was good at e-commerce and they really liked e-commerce and they like trading and they like trying to figure out why people were buying things and, and going through heat maps and ux ui i'd go okay brilliant first things first educate yourself on what that looks like and to be honest with you the easiest place to do that would be youtube or reddit which is the dismay of any educated person listening but it's very true <laughs> and then i would then say well right okay well who do you think does e-commerce well you know if you're talking to a 20 something year old in the uk they might go well i quite like boohoo and pretty little thing they do things really well and i was like well there you, there you go there's half your start now find the find the head of e-commerce for, for boohoo or pretty little thing and send them your cv but like, look i'm a grad i'm really interested in e-commerce this is my background this is what i've done to educate myself and get me relevant i need a chance kind of thing and and that's all it is if you once you found your direction and what you're interested in then it's very much okay get the get the education and then go right which businesses do i want to work for and then once you've got that it's very straightforward I mean, you might get some knockbacks along the way because those businesses that you want to work for might not want you, but then you think, okay, well, let's work with someone else. Let's work with someone else. And there are so many opportunities out there for young people right now in digital, in marketing. If you show a bit of, um, you know, a bit of ambition and a little bit of um, sort of get up and go, and you do you're going out there and you're messaging heads of marketing and going look this is my cd this is what i'm doing this is why i want to be part of your team this is why i want to be part of your company this is why i want to learn from you that will go a million miles further than any cover letter could at all personal recommendation because you've shown that a you can find out the person in charge who you need to talk to you can give them a clear concise elevator pitch And you know what, more often than not, they'd sit there and go, yeah, you're right. You know what, I'll I'll ring this person. I might not have anything for them, but they've impressed me. And that's half the battle.
0: Brilliant. Last question. How can any companies or candidates get in touch with you if they're interested in hiring Blue Pelican or in finding a new job?
1: So yes, no feel free. So uh, the majority of my work is UK focused at the moment um, but we have capacity for a couple more retained pieces. I'm doing some retained pitches this week and next week which may book me up for January and February. but if you want to get in touch with me you can either email me at max@ at pelican.com or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just Max Tullis Turner um, which is Max and then T U L L I S. Hyphen T U R N E R. I am the only one on LinkedIn. Um, hopefully, you'll enjoy some of the content that I put out. I normally put out some quite provocative uh, LinkedIn posts to, to annoy people um, and, and generate a bit of conversation, as well as posting all of my roles, my retained pieces, and generally sort of my musings and what's going on, really.
0: Great. Thanks so much for joining us, Max. How
1: no is it all?
0: This was the American Digital Banking P- Podcast hosted by CPQI. Don't forget to follow us to hear more.